Thank you for tuning in to Conspiracy Is The Theory. My name is Reland. Let's have a good old time today, man. My special guest is John Diaz from California, and we're gonna talk about some conspiracies, man. Maybe we're right, maybe we're wrong, but you know what? At least we're talking about it. What's up, John? How you doing, buddy? I'm good, Chris. How about you, bud? I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing fantastic. Uh, welcome to the show, man. Thank you very much. I love the intro, dude. That is so rocking. I appreciate it. That's actually going to... That's actually a song that's going to be on my album coming out January 1st of next year. Um, that's great. Yeah. What's so, the album called? Uh, the album's called All for One. Yeah, so it's... Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. How how um, how appropriate. All for One. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, now... Yeah, I, I dig that. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Especially in our, in our time of... Uh, it's been a strange couple of years, hasn't it? It has been a lot of strange years. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, there's, there's people out there who, who are in government and run the country or just normal people like, uh, uh, what's that guy, Elon Musk, and they want everything. Yeah. So it's all for one. <laughs> That's the main yeah. reason for the title of the album, All for One. I'm, I'm releasing four songs between now and, and uh, the end of the year that I already have pretty much set that's going out. One came out on the 3rd of February, one's April 13th, and then one summer, right. and, then, and then one coming out Christmas time. The one for Christmas is called Christmas Weed. <laughs> so it's going to be a really, really, I'm excited it, about that one. It's called Christmas. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's about getting weed for Christmas. <laughs> it's like a bluegrass style song, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's called, oh, you know, Weed, Weed, Weed brings us together. And So tell oh, me about you, funny, man. What, what do you do? Uh, well, what I do now is I'm, I'm a for the last, uh, it'll be 27 years or 28 years this uh, March that I uh, licensed painting contractor in California, a five-star contractor. I've got to, I've got to add to that. Awesome. Um, we're rated five stars on every platform, Facebook, uh, Google, Google Maps, um, anywhere you find us. Basically, we've got five stars. So been working hard at that. Um, and... Uh, have three beautiful grandkids uh and two kids and a daughter and a son and dude just life is good dude i'm living the california dream it's just an amazing thing like i said aside from the weirdness of the um you know the last couple of years and uh, at first i kind of leaned into it i was like oh dude i'm i'm okay with this i'm okay with it you know did the whole tiger king thing and and kind of lean into it but then after a while i was like okay this is getting weird <laughs> it's too it's too much uh quarantine too much being out uh, away from people and uh and yeah it just kind of set a new weird precedent and then uh starting to break break out of that over here in california like i just literally came back from a swimming class for my grandson mm -hmm. and had a good time watching him have fun in the pool and uh just really good stuff man out here just working and uh Every once in a while, I jump on the drums. Now I used to play drums for 20 plus years in a couple of different bands. Did all the Sunset Strip, the Viper Room, the Troubadour, the Whiskey A Go Go, um, the, the Roxy. I think I'm leaving out. Uh, you know, I never got to play Gazzari's, which I'm. You know, I wish we would have done that. But we also did. I think it was a place called the Waters Club outside in uh, San Pedro, and as you know, toured. Uh, Later on, with uh, uh, did a, a deal with uh, Stephen Pierce, the Arat, uh, being his backup group, and him and uh, our mutual friend Eric did uh, their jaunt through Mexico and Mexico City, 
and uh, we were invited to play with them uh, to be their opener. And then uh, Stephen had requested us to learn a couple of songs so that when he did his encore, we would come and he would be electrified and he would, uh, he would do a couple of the, you know, the rat, the famous rat songs that he was round and round and back for more. So um, just, you know, that's been life and it's fun. I think I was uh, talking to you uh, last week about how, you know, one day I'm listening to Stephen Piercy and Rat, or Rat, um, and as a kid, as I think 14, 15 years old with headphones on, on a record player <laughs> in my room, and uh, flash forward like 20 years and I'm doing a sound check with them, you know, there's just those type of things are kind of just, you know, really cool, surreal, interesting kind of uh, moments in my life, but yeah, I just, now it's just work uh and uh, customer service kind of stuff and that, that's basically it now and then when i heard i was asking a friend because i wanted to start a, pod, a podcast our mutual friend joe and he said oh you've got to talk to chris man he this dude's got it this guy's got it all under wraps you got to talk to him he'll be happy and then you were so nice to me i was like wow this is great and uh about all the information which we'll talk more about you know later don't want to bore people with all the technical aspects of it but um that's how we're here talking which which is really cool thank you for inviting me by the way oh man anytime you're always welcome to come on to this show man trust me 100 percent are and joe's a great guy man you know joe i've, I've known joe I for years him. dude <laughs> he's and he's from Armenia. he's armenian right i worked for Armenians yeah. for 12 years at michael's jewelers in california and they they, they owned it so we had many, many conversations about that as well. I didn't know he was Armenian until just recently, dude. How cool is that? Yeah, no, no, I know. Uh, I think he's in good company with um, System of the Down. Aren't they Armenian also? I believe they are. I believe I believe, I believe they are. They're, I believe they're Armenian. And then uh, uh, I think the Kardashians are too, but we'll go past that. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. But you know what's funny is you mentioned California. Um, this is where you started out, right? Yeah, I moved here about two and a half years ago. You know, my, my parents were born and raised out here yeah. um, out in Paducah. And um, they came here to retire. And I, I made a mistake and brought my wife to visit. And next thing you know, we're moving out here. <laughs> <laughs> she loved it. She's yeah. like, let's get the heck out of California, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'll be honest, it's a great decision. You know, we have a beautiful house that would be three times more in California. And, you know, I was able to build a beautiful recording studio with all my guitars and, and, and everything. So it's definitely benefited me to kind of move out. And I don't have any traffic. <laughs> that's, that's another great thing, John. I don't have any traffic out here. But when the freeway goes down, them two lanes, you're in trouble because you could be on there for a long time. You get stuck. I can imagine. It's, it's like you get so used to it. You're like, oh, my gosh, they're doing the streets. And then before you know it, you're complaining about that. But you've got it good for 99% of the time, 97% of the time. Absolutely. That's great. Yep. yep. No, I love that. I love that kind of living where it's, it's a slower kind of pace. And um, I used to have to – did you used to have to commute a lot? Um, not so too much. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. from San Bernardino, so I worked at uh, All Star Kia for a long time, which is down the street and and, and whatnot. So that's yeah. pretty cool. It's, you're a homegrown boy, then. You're a hometown boy because I'm I'm in Rancho Cucamonga and uh, also just outside of San Bernardino. Uh, when people, I talk to a lot of people on uh, on social media, and we're always talking. I'm in a community of uh, like painters and decorators and tradesmen and tradespeople. And they always ask, hey, where are you located again? And I, the easiest way for me to explain it is, okay, 
Uh, I'm right in the middle in between. I'm on like Route 66 in between Los Angeles, Hollywood, and Coachella, if that's any kind of reference. Or Palm Springs, they get a little bit more, you know, like the older you get, you go, oh, Palm Springs, I don't know about Coachella, but that's a, isn't that a good uh, reference? I mean, as far as kind of, that's kind of in the middle of both of those places. It pretty much is. And Rancho Cucamonga is a beautiful area in California. It's not like San Bernardino where I'm from, dude. It's like the little bit of a, it's a lot newer and a lot nicer there, Rancho Cucamonga, man. Dude, I love it. I love it, Chris. The funny thing is I was um, raised in Ontario and um, I grew up in like between this like, um, the north side and the south side, there was always the like rock and local. Hey, what's happening? I said, you should join us. And I, I was like, bro, I'm a rocker. I'm a rocker. I don't want nothing to do with this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I tried to stay out of that whole nonsense because, um, you know, I want to live. I didn't want to get into any kind of trouble over there. So, um, but I, I aspire trying to get out of like the south, north Ontario kind of that, that atmosphere. I aspired to always, it was always Ranch Cucamonga, man, or Altaloma. Altaloma's for like the snooty people that they, <laughs> they say Altaloma. Yeah. But it's really, it's Ranch Cucamonga, man. So, but, but I love it. I bought my first house here, uh, raised my kids here, and um, it's, it's, it's been beautiful. Uh, you're right. It is. It's amazing. Yeah. It's a great place to live. And then one of the guys I was talking to earlier said, hey, I always remember that you live in Ranch Cucamonga because of, uh, uh, you know, that uh, next Friday movie. <laughs> we moved to Rancho. You remember they moved to Rancho Cucamonga? Uh, yeah. Smokey and uh, Ice Cube. Yep. I remember that. You yeah. know, I'm I'm waiting for the next one. Last Friday, they've been announcing it for years. I'm just waiting for the last Friday one to come out. Really, I didn't know they were doing another one. Yeah, they're supposed they're supposed to be doing another one. It's going to be called Last Friday. Ah, great well, concept. That's yeah. I it seems like it'd be a good idea. Another show that I was thinking of earlier was what's that other show? Um, Workaholics. That's have, do you know that show, The Workaholics? From Ranch Cucamonga. I do. I love that. It's one of my favorite shows, man, of all time. It's comedy, dude. man. <laughs> dude, that, that is, is a, a great show. show. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I wish they would it's never. Funny how they, it's funny how it made a name, though, right? Like uh, everybody's from Ranch Cucamonga now. It's like <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a weird thing to say, though. I think it goes all the way back to Bugs Bunny. I think I, I took a wrong turn at Rancho Cucamonga or something. <laughs> oh wow, that's really really yeah. cool, man. So what, how did, I got to ask you, man, how did you get the idea to start the show? Because once I heard the, um, uh, I heard like, I think it was the latest uh, podcast it was with Joaquin, who is mm-hmm. Stephen Piercy's um, uh, like current longtime drummer in his solo stuff with Piercy solo stuff. How did you get the idea and what was it that made you say, you know what, I've got to start a podcast. I want to do this. This is going to be something I do. Um, you know what? I, I, I was on AM radio back in the day. I've, I've been on uh, Radio5150.com for their radio station, and I was on um, Q Sky Radio. And I, was, I also did a podcast for a Beyond Epic, Epic radio show before they, they went down. Uh, well, they, oh, cool. they stopped doing it. So I wanted to do my own podcast 
but I want it to be something that I really like. And I love conspiracies. I mean, I, I I watch them. I don't believe them all, but you know what, dude, I just love watching conspiracies and talking about conspiracies. So that's why I decided to do conspiracy is the theory, but I wanted to do one a little bit different. I wanted to do one where it's just like me and you were just talking and all the facts aren't going to be there. I don't have exact dates. I may not know somebody's name, but I want to be more of a, more of a, just a conversation, man, just two people talking or four people talking, whatever it is just how they feel about certain things, which is, you know, inaccurate. Cause I think sometimes the guys who know all the names and all the details, they may be swayed a specific way. <laughs> their, their mind may already be made up, you know? Oh, absolutely. I think a lot of people are like that. Once you get an idea in your head, you kind of stick to that idea and you don't allow yourself any more information of that idea. Once you make up your mind, so to speak, unless, uh, you know, somebody comes with new information, even then you're more prone to stay, you know, with the same idea. But I, I think that bringing the concept is good and you'll go far. Um, if it's something you enjoy, they always say, if um, you work at something that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And I really believe that. I really believe that if, if you do that, um, you'll be very successful. And I really like that. I, when I was a kid, man, I used to love everything from, uh, you know, I used to watch, when I was a kid, I'd sneak in to watch Project Blue Book. It was a TV show that my dad would watch. And I was a little kid, like in the 70s, and they had that on. And then I remember um, Bigfoot on the $6 million man. I don't know if you're familiar with that. <laughs> I haven't seen $6 million man in a long time. But there was a new, um, they went for two seasons, Project Blue Book on History Channel. Great, great yes. show. It, did you watch it? I didn't watch oh, yeah. it. I, I, yeah. And then now with all the new... Um, I don't know what to make of all this new stuff with the, the tic-tac uh, video footage and all this other stuff. And I'm like, it just makes you scratch your head why they're releasing it now. I, I don't, I don't know. That's a, that's a whole other conspiracy. That's that you could go into a deep rabbit hole in that one. Yeah. Well, it looks like they're no longer denying anything. They're just not saying what it is. It's just, we don't know what it is. And here you go. It seems like that's more of the route that, that um, the government seems to be taking. Like, oh, there might be something yeah, out there, but we're not going to, we're not a hundred percent sure. We don't really know what's doing this, but you can have the videos. <laughs> I think it's just, um, one of those things that it, I, I, I think that there's information that we don't know. I think their government's probably about a hundred, maybe in technology, 200 years ahead of us, but it's, it's of what we have, but, um, I think some of that technology would probably blow our minds, and, and uh, that's what why they the popular sentiment is is that they don't release some of the information because people would lose their minds. I could be. I think that in today's world, I, I think that they've been preparing. Uh, this is my personal opinion. They've been preparing us to let us know for a long time. Like when when humans go to meet a culture that doesn't know anybody else exists but them they do it very slowly have you ever seen that they they do it very slowly they, they let you know we're here a little bit they'll walk the wave and little by little they'll kind of make you more comfortable with the idea that you're not alone have you seen that yeah I, you know what i think i think um you're right and, and what what they call it foreshadowing and i think um they've done that in like movies um, they like kind of let little bits out, a little bits out, and they kind of then the whole thing kind of blows open. But yeah, it's it, it, it. Sometimes I think I just I think about it and I go, you know, don't think too much about it because you really don't know 
we don't know what's out there. It's it's kind of a a creepy kind of a thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now, the thing about aliens and UFOs and all that is we only got to be right one time. You know, you can be, we can be yeah. wrong, but once you're right one time, you automatically credited. You got it. You got it right, yeah. man. So that's the really cool thing about that is I only got to be right one time. It's one evidence, what, one time, and I'm right. What's your favorite conspiracy? That's what. Um, since you're the guy that you know created the podcast and created this this uh, particular podcast format, what what is your uh, favorite? I love aliens. I'm not going to lie, dude. I love UFOs and aliens. I constantly look for, for, for that kind of information that's kind of out there just to get a rough idea on it. What about you, John? Yeah. Which ones do you like? Man, I, I'm one of those guys that looks into government and looks at what they're doing. And like, that's why I was always interested in Project Blue Book. It wasn't so much about the aliens. It was the mechanism behind hiding you know, uh, how far and how deep could it go that you're hiding this? Um, how many people have to know about it? And then I think, I think my favorite one though is, um, the federal reserve. I mean, for me, that one gets me how, uh, a secret meeting in 1910 on Jekyll Island, Georgia, um, developed the plan of, you know, in, in the story of how the federal reserve was created. I mean, it's not, a, it's not, a federal entity these bankers and rich uh you know the the, the baron robbers they're the, the robber bears they were there basically created this system to bilk the government the united states out of money to print money and to make this fiat money to uh basically control control our economic system and so many people this is what blows me away i have a friend who is a banker for i think over a decade and i told him i said hey do you know about the bubble blah, blah, blah he didn't know and i go this is scary because if a banker doesn't know about this um you know what does that say about what our general knowledge is on this subject and so i think what i, I really like about your podcast and i like the idea is that even if we're not out there picketing and we're not out there screaming, you know, uh, at the fence at the Federal Reserve, we're not out on the doorstep, this sort of thing gets people talking and they go, oh, I didn't know that. And that's, that's something that gets me excited to ignite somebody's brain to go, oh, and then they tell somebody else and they tell two friends and they like that shampoo commercial and they tell two friends. And they, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, yeah. that's what really gets me excited, man. Yeah. And the crazy thing about the Federal Reserve is they tried three times prior to it. It failed three times in a row. You know what I mean? See, yeah. I didn't know that, Chris. Yeah. That's, you look that's it up. the kind of good stuff I love. Yeah. It failed three times before. And it took them, you know, it took them from 1910 to 1913 to get it passed. But they put in there to actually print the money. I don't think they ever thought that the Congress would allow them to print their own money for the United States, yeah. but they wanted that. So the Congress gave them the right to control all the money and print it. So the banks control all the money. It's the craziest thing in the world. The people who in, the, whose best interest is to make money have the right to print the money and control the money. Brilliant plan it, on it, their it, behalf. It's it, it mind-boggling when you look at it. But you, you, you're surprised, but you wouldn't be surprised if 
like behind the scenes you saw these giant bags of cash dropped out at these you know the, the congress people's homes <laughs> or they were promised um higher um offices of power you know they were they were there's got to be some kind of carrot dangling on a stick for these people to allow this and it, it's shocking i mean and then it, i don't know if you know who was involved in it but it was uh basically morgan rockefeller rothschild warburg and kun Loeb. um they were all competitors in the banking industry and then um but they all came together in 1910 and said hey what we've got this idea yeah <laughs> they put it together and they got it out there you know and it's it's just a revolving door i mean i watched this thing the other day that is a do we really have freedom of choice? And, and you look, you go to the store and you see all kinds of different varieties of stuff, but do you really have freedom of choice? Cause it's all full of sugar. <laughs> it's all full of all the other things. And it says that it went through, like, you can't have raw milk. They raid farms who sell raw milk and they throw you in yeah. jail because they don't want you because the pasteurized milk companies, even though raw milk can't be bad for you, if it gets, you know, the poison that it could turn to poison or what, I don't know the exact same thing, but they'll drop poison on the fruits and vegetables that we eat, but you can't have raw milk. And it, oh yeah, Monsanto, man. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the company that does all that, right? So, yeah, do we really have choice? We don't have choice because those poor farmers can't give you their raw milk because they'll get raided and go to jail. And it's just if you watch this thing, it's crazy, and it shows the rotating door through the government and the big companies that the the people will will. They hire them to, oh, my God, what's the name of the person that goes and they talk to them, the Congress, to get things passed over? It just crossed. See, this thing that happened, it goes out of my mind. They're uh, negotiators on behalf of the big companies. Lobbyists. Lobbyists, right? So they lobby for these things, right? And then yeah, yeah. what happens is then they get into the Congress. Then when they come out of Congress, they go and work for the company that they got all this other. It's, I watch this thing, and you see these same people over and over that just come and go, and they they get all and they get these big billion dollar bonuses to go work for the company who they save millions of dollars for. It is absolutely crazy. When you you got the to definitely term check that it out. Com- Yeah, the term that comes to mind, Chris, is conflict of interest in big giant capital letters. Giant capital letters, conflict of interest, because they're feeding this um these people that make the decisions, they're feeding them like uh, you know, cash or promises of uh, you know, we'll hire you later. And then, so they're doing, they're doing their bidding. The, the people of the government are doing these companies bidding and essentially America's turned into a big giant corporation. I mean, the way I see it, that's, that's a dangerous slippery slope and that's another conspiracy, but here's, here's another one I like to get into. Do you know that the media is owned by approximately three different companies, not 20, not, 50, not 70, but approximately three corporations own all the media. Oh, I thought it was six. But it, it may be down to three now. I know for sure yeah. Disney's one. Yeah. And the other one was the Turner. Is it Ted Turner? See, I don't know the specifics. All I know is that, I don't know, just like you said, uh, specifics, uh, the details, the exact amount isn't, but it used to be a larger playing field. And now it's shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. And I thought that we weren't supposed to have monopolies on, corporations were supposed to have monopolies on certain things and they would break up the monopoly, you know. Um, And it just seems like 
very skewed, whether it's three or six, it's too small. There needs to be more of a, a level playing field because it's what's happening is imagine a big giant siphon and it's like a, a at the top and then at the very bottom it's just like this little drop squeezing out that you're giving there a lot of information and it, what comes to mind have you ever seen on the news or youtube or something like that not the news but it's the news but all across the nation they've made this video where like the people are saying the same thing it's the same thing and it's all like on this big uh, like video screen and they're all like repeating the same lines out of Kansas, out of Omaha, out of blah, 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 out of everywhere. They're repeating the same lines. It's just like somebody's feeding them these scripts and they're going by uh, a narrative, by a, a, an agenda that somebody's got. And um, have you seen that? I have seen it. And you, did, remember, what I, God, I wish I remember the guy's name off the top of my head. He was the a news anchor for a long, long time that just retired, and he like called some stuff out. Man, do you remember that one? What was the guy's name? No, I did. No, I don't. I don't. I don't know that. One. Oh, he he. When his contract was done, he's like, you know what? I'm leaving because this is this is this is no longer our country anymore. Journalism. Yeah, yeah. this is no longer our country anymore. It's not the country that I grew up loving. Right, and I'll, I'll say one thing. I absolutely love the United States. I love this country. This country is my country, and 99% Same. of the people in this country are amazing. There's just the 1%. Same. Well, the thing is, is it, it, um, I'm the same way. I love it. I'm first generation here. Uh, my mom was born and raised in Mexico, and then uh, thank you, Mom. Thank you so much. <laughs> I was born here. I was uh, conceived here, born here. She did all the legal stuff she had to do get over here she did everything perfectly right and i and then she came here became a, a you know prosperous successful member of society in the united states um but i think one of the best things is um the united states was born of rebels it was born of people that like that's what i really uh, can relate to and associate to is that we were born of uh, this nation was born of people that criticized that said, hey, this is wrong, or we don't believe in this, or, um, and then we're going to go start our own thing. And I, that, to me, is probably one of the most honorable things to do is to question your government. It's one of the most intelligent things to do is to say, well, hey, what about this, or what about that? And if you don't question it, I believe that you're uh, asleep at the wheel. You're, you're kind of zombified and um, too much entertainment, too much... Uh, media too much uh you know not paying attention to things and watching reality tv i'm sorry to mention the kardashians again just watching dumb stuff and not really involving yourself in like oh did you know that the federal reserve is not a federal (laughs) (laughs) yeah once you start digging into that you start going wait a minute that's that isn't right and then you start i don't want to harp on it but if you dig into the Federal Reserve, what I call a conspiracy, uh, what ends up happening, <sighs> you're going to understand that the American public is fleeced approximately 30, 40 to 50% and even 60% of their money on top of their taxes. Um, there's a great book out that I, I highly recommend. It's called The Creature from Jekyll Island. Um, and it, it's, I don't remember who the person that wrote it. Um, uh, Griffin, Griffin, Griffin. G. G. Edward Griffin wrote it. 
Um, and it, man, it's so, it blows your mind when you're like, holy shit, we're being taken advantage of. And then you're like, if you think about that, you're like, okay, what else? Then you start really digging into other things. And it's not a wacky conspiracy. It's a real conspiracy that really happened. It's still happening. And then when people are sucked into, oh, the stock market, this or that, and realize that it's all this game push and pull. And um, yeah, you can make money on the stock market. You can also lose your butt and then people lost their pensions. And, and you start realizing, wow, this isn't, this is a rigged game. This game is rigged. And the whole thing is rigged. It's, <laughs> it's not popular to talk about. It's not a popular wow. sentiment. People get, people get upset about it. And um, I'm the kind of person I'll tell you right now, I don't, I don't do politics. I'm not left or right. I believe they're uh, two wings off the same bird. I believe they both win. I think, um, like, I also am not, I'm not a professional sports fan. I don't look into that uh, because I think it's like back in the Roman days when the emperor, the, the, the empire was going bankrupt and the coffers money was going missing and this and that. I think true story that the emperor would put on the games to distract the people and the games are made to distract the people. And it's not a popular sentiment, but it's a true thing. It's a real thing. If you read um, a little bit of literature and look at it, you'll say, Hey, when things get tough and whatever, and it's a great distraction, but distracting from what distracting from these realities that, um, you know, we're like the donkey that's pulling the wagon and uh, who are we pulling the wagon for? Yeah, I get it. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it it that's that's how I and I just I I'm baffled and I get it. Listen, all respect to people who want to follow a leader, who want to do that sort of living. But I go, no, it's, it's again going back to how America started is is a bunch of rebels that said we don't believe in this thing and we think we can do it a little bit better. But then money got involved, and all bets are off. You know, the lobbyists, as you said before. Once you start throwing money at, at people, people are weak and they seek power and they want prestige and they want a yacht or a really nice apartment in New York City or yeah. <laughs> a beach house. And um, before you know it, we're spraying poisons on vegetables that we eat and uh, not making a big deal about it. And there's laws where you can't collect rainwater. And what was the one that you said earlier that don't lock you up for pasture for unpasteurized milk. You go to jail for selling um, raw milk, unpasteurized milk. They throw you in jail. Yeah, and then the agriculture um, lobbyists—they'll throw you in jail if you film stuff now on a on a uh, a farm, a beef farm, or uh, I, I think it's a chicken farm or something. If you're filmed, if you're caught filming something, it's illegal to film. On to show conditions of what's happening. I mean, anybody with any common sense goes, okay, that's weird. That's no conspiracy. That's a conspiracy against, you know, against freedom. And um, some people would say, well, no, that's a conspiracy against the privacy of these people that are running these farms. I'm like, well, if you have nothing to hide, then you wouldn't create this law. Um, That you know, I think there's just too many laws. That's a whole other. That's a whole other podcast, man. It's like these guys feel they're they're in office. They feel the need to create all these laws. Um, what do they do else with their time? And politicians, seventy percent of their time is uh, fundraising. 
saw a documentary on it. 70 to 80% is fundraising, and they only do 30% to 20% of the people's work. So it's like it just makes you scratch your head, man. I, I long for the days where it was the butcher, uh, the hardware guy, the the guy that owned the um, you know the store, the Main Street store. Those people went to they went to Washington to represent the people of their constituency. Now it's professional um, politicians that really they're they're there to just get to the next step. And it's rare that I see a politician who really has their people's interest in this. And if they do start out that way, guess what? Eventually, somebody might get their midst in them with just enough money or just enough um, enticement of uh, furthering their career and these ideas start bubbling and that good-hearted, it's good-intentioned person. And you know what they say, the best intentions are... <laughs> are what are they? I think there's a thing. Um, best intentions are... Uh, the road to hell or something. The best intentions, I forget the quote, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a troubling situation when you, when you think about that. Yeah, no, I get it. I think it cost you, what, $12 million to run for Congress. So I don't care how good you are to get $12 million to run for Congress. You're, you're working for somebody. You're working for several somebodies. Unless you have $12 million to spare to run for Congress. It's a couple million dollars just to run, I think, for even a governor. You know, it, it's yeah. expensive to run for office. And there's a reason why it's expensive is they get who they want in there, plain and simple. Yeah. No, it, 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 and I remember because uh, I am I got OCD. The road to hell is paved with good intentions is what I did. <laughs> so uh, it, it's one of those things where you might start out a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed um, person with good intentions, and then before you know it, you're caught in the system, and it's like um, a version of high school, but with money yeah. and um, intrigue. And before you know it, you're, you're offered bags of cash for the next, hey, we can kick you up the next, our, our party, our uh, little group here can kick you up the next rung. You want that, or do you want to be ostracized? And most people, we're, we're a tribal uh, humans are tribal people or tribal natured, uh, you know, societies. That's why left and right, and that's why, you know, this or that. And uh, it, I, I think that you don't want to be kicked out of the tribe. You don't want to be, uh, as they say, kicked off the island. <laughs> so it's either play ball or, or go home and we take your ball. Yeah. Here's the but, reason why. Yeah. What? No, go ahead. Oh, what I was going to say is here's the reason why I think nothing's going to change anytime soon. Because the low-income people, they get everything for free. <clears throat> they get free food, free places to live just about. They get free medical. They don't have to pay because they're low-income. And I, they do deserve help. I'm not saying they don't. Rich people, what well, does it matter to them what the health insurance costs? They're, they're good to go. They don't want nothing to change. The, but the yeah. middle-income people, like me and you, we yep. work too hard, too much, pay too much taxes, pay too much insurances. We, we remain strapped and barely get by because nothing is given to us. We don't have time or sometimes left the energy to make a change because they keep the middle class beat. They keep us tired. We're the ones that get the, 
we're the ones that get the, the screws put to us, aren't we, Chris? I mean, that's we are. really, it, 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 because here's, you, you have a great point, because what ends up happening is the rich, they have loopholes. They understand and they became rich because it's, it's a more than likely generational, you know? And so once it's generational, you understand how to move uh, the money and how to use it and what um, your loopholes are and how to not be taxed. And when you really don't have that much money, you're not wealthy, you're the middle class, and you're just kind of, you're succeeding, but you aren't well-versed in this kind of a situation. You, um, you know, you don't keep as much as you earn. And then you go down one more couple of runs down the ladder. I'm a painter, so there's a lot of ladder metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so you go one, one rung down the ladder, to the low income and they're even worse off because they're living from hand to mouth man, which is, which causes so much stress. It causes, um, you know, it is brain fog is the only thing I could say. And, and then you get into this place. Uh, I think a lot of life, uh, as I get older, I've realized that a lot of life is your attitude and your surroundings and how you think. And if you're thinking in a poverty mindset, you're going to, Stay in a poverty mindset. There's just no, no doubt about it. If you just start to believe that this is what you deserve, and you stay there, there's people that do break out of it. But for the most part, if you're surrounded by it, it's like driving a crappy truck, man. If you get in a crappy truck every day and you kind of see, oh, this is a crappy truck, and this is what I do, and or a car, and you're like, well, this is what I guess this is what I'm doing and what I deserve. But once you kind of break out of that, the people that do break out of that, they get to the next rung up the ladder into the middle. And they go, well, I'm doing better, but geez, I'm, am I really doing that much better? Because then they see the rung above them, a few, they see 10 rungs above them where the wealthy are. And then they see um, this person or that person. Uh, and but I think one of the things is another conspiracy is why is white collar crime never punished the same way like a gram of cocaine is? Like they- it's that guy who lost a billion dollars. Sorry about that. I mean, the guy who lost a billion dollars of uh, people's money that he stole, and uh, he got away scot free and got another better job than what he had before. I wish I could remember that guy's name. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you, John, but you're absolutely right. No, no, no. You didn't interrupt me. I mean, that's the kind, no. That's 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 what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who commit heinous crimes against hundreds, dozens, thousands of people. And they get off with like, oh, let's go to Club Med Fed, the Club Fed Med, and uh, you're locked up for a few years or whatever, but you could keep your money offshore or whatever. But then um, you, somebody finds a gram of cocaine or name whatever, who cares what drug it is, then you're put away for 40 years. It's the most... It's that's a conspiracy that's right in plain sight. It's one of those conspiracies that if it was a snake, it would bite you. Because you have to ask these questions. Why is that? That people that rob people, move money, have Ponzi schemes, the only times that it's, they're ever punished is if they go against the wealthy. I want you to notice that. The ones, when they do are cracked down on, it's because it's the wealthy. But look at Wells Fargo, what Wells Fargo making up making up uh, fake accounts for their for their clients, customers, uh, doing all sort of backroom things that managers ask them to do. Some people quit because they didn't want to do it. And then people, you know, complain. But what was the real, oh, okay, they, they pay a small fine, like a parking ticket. 
to them, it's like a parking ticket. Could be multiple parking tickets, but it's nothing to them in the long run. But if you take something similar um, to an individual and he's caught with like, okay, a pound of weed in a, a, in a county that doesn't allow that, then throw the book at it. It doesn't make a lick of sense. And the more, if someone thinks they're intelligent, then they really need to look at that and take a good hard look in the mirror, especially if they enforce the law or if they're judges or they really need to go, you know, that's a heck of a good point. But not just because I'm saying it, but because it's what's right and what's wrong. What's what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And I think you have to look at the severity of each crime. You're ruining people's lives by doing this. Um, whether you're stealing their pension or the Ponzi schemes or you know, it's it's maddening. Those are the kind of things that, um, like I said, back to the Federal Reserve. It's like right out in the open, and it's like so many people are just walking through life. They grab their coffee in the morning, head to work like you and I do, do the thing, uh, make some people happy during the day, exhausted, let's make some dinner, and just rinse and repeat. And uh, I don't know, the, the 60s are like romanticized for me because there was a all this protesting the government, the Vietnam War, which is wrong. We've seen a lot of documentaries on that, why it kept going. And it's just, it's maddening to think, why, why would people allow this? But I guess the system becomes so big that who's going to fight it, Chris? Is one man going to fight it? <laughs> yeah. yeah you, it's maddening. It is. Did you hear what happened in Cyprus a while back, not too long ago? Uh, uh, Cyprus, as in uh, Greece, or Greece. Cyprus, as in Cyprus, yeah. is in okay, Greece. Yeah, <laughs> the the one of the one of the big banks in Cyprus got in trouble, and they didn't have they were running out of money. Unlike okay. here, remember in oh eight oh nine, we did yeah, a, a yeah, big bailout and gave all the banks more money, and then they got big bonuses. What Cyprus oh, yeah. did is they went to the bank, the government, for a bailout, and the government said, "No, we're not going to bail you out, but do a bail in." So what the bail-in was is take the money from your customers. So anybody who banked with that bank and they had over $100,000 in their account, they took 50% of their money. It's called a bail-in. Definitely look it up, John. That is the new system. They tested it in Cyprus to see if it will work. Now, I promise you, that is the way that things are going to start happening. Take it from the people. True story. Wow. That's not even a conspiracy. That's an actual event. Look it up. It's called bail, Cyprus Bailed In. They took the money from their customers at the bank. That's wild. What did it have to bail in Cyprus? Cyprus uh, Bail In. I'm looking something up right now. It says, uh, it's 2012, 2013, it says. It, it was a few years back. Not a lot of years back, but it was a few years back. Okay, so here's what I got. Here's what I got. Depositors in two Cypriot banks lost billions when savings were confiscated to protect the island's banking system in 2013. In a process known as a bail-in, the move was a condition sought by international creditors for a 10 billion euro, 11.62 billion uh, U.S. bailout to the East Mediterranean island. Wow. That is the new test model, what they're going to be thinking about doing and it's a, it's it's a upfront conspiracy you can actually see it that it really happened i'm actually sure well they had no choice but to report it because they took it from the normal citizens of the state 
Crazy. Well, I'm looking at something right below. It says European Court dismisses compensation claim in Cyprus 2013 deposit grab. So a, a EU court has rejected a petition for compensation by bank depositors whose funds were confiscated in the Cyprus financial credit to become a wow, which would become a European template for banks in trouble. Yep. Holy shit. So now dude. is your money really safe? What if, what if you're, me, <laughs> you're retiring, that's your retirement money. You could, you could have money there for retiring and they take 50% of your retirement. So, oh. so imagine that it's crazy. And, you, and then you get taxed again when you take it out. <laughs> I'm just saying. Hey, no wonder, no just wonder saying. Bitcoin is no wonder Bitcoin is a thing. Yeah. No wonder. It's not yeah. fully regulated. Bitcoin is a, that's going to be the future. The Bitcoins, the, the NFTs and stuff like that. People are going to start beginning, but here's the crazy part. You can't, you know how much it costs to put a Bitcoin machine up like an ATM machine in the United States because of all these things you got to go through $25 million. Holy shit. So if you want to use Bitcoin and you want to put an ATM up because you're, you're jumping all these things, you got to get all these regulations through 24, $25 million to put a Bitcoin machine, just an ATM machine up to use it in your location. Well, that's ridiculous. Well, you, you know, the funny thing, though, is why would they, it, here's the thing I'm thinking is why would they need a machine if everything is an online, you know, if everything is online and you would just be able to hold up your phone and scan something and it's all in a wallet, why would you even need a Bitcoin ATM? Processor, maybe for processing, I'm not sure. But I do know that's yeah. the cost to, to put an ATM machine there for Bitcoin. Yeah, your your information about this uh, bail and uh, kind of, as the kids say, left me shook. <laughs> 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 oh man, that's whack! I had no idea. You know, I didn't know that. I thought um, that. Uh, here's the thing: I thought people just lost money, the bank went under, and boom, boom, boom. But not to be like, okay, yeah, yeah, we're you know, no, no, well, well you get some of your money, but we're taking half of it for the bail in. It's like yeah. how. Are you gonna, from your financial screw up, how are you gonna come over and take some of my money if it was your, um, you know, your mistake essentially? Absolutely. It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. But that's the world that we live in today. You, even your money is not really safe. So I spend all mine, man. I spend every dollar I get. I don't leave nothing for nobody to take. I buy guitars and I do my albums. I make sure oh, my man. money goes. That's it, man. Oh, that's that's crazy. You know, uh, w what's really interesting—not so much a, a, a conspiracy, but uh, I guess a changing of the guard uh, with new technologies. Um, like, you know, what's really hot is—is is what I've noticed is that's happening in the world is like, okay, same thing when the horse and buggy went, you know, by the wayside. It was like, okay, that's old technology, and now here comes the car. People were like, oh, no, I'm keeping my horse and my buggy. But it, they got run over by, you know, by progress, the horse and buggy people. And they were put out of business. And now, like, hotels, um, because of the Airbnb thing and, uh, you know, and, and with the, the Uber and Lyft, like, taxi companies were out. And it, if you really pay attention to everything, you're like, man, everything's just starting to exponentially move a little bit quicker and a little bit quicker and a little bit quicker and uh my son's involved in in uh Turo. he's got two different cars now 
that he rents out to people and he's doing okay with it. And what's incredible, I go, wow, wow. I mean, to me, I love you technology. Like I jumped on back in, I think it was 93 or four to the internet and uh, it might've been 92. And I, I thought it was the most amazing thing to talk to people in Scandinavia and Russia and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, AOL with that crazy uh, dial-up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but that was so exciting. And now to see these new technologies where you can actually make a bub and a, a buck and what's it called? The, uh, the gig, uh, the gig industry or the gig, I, I don't know the terminology, but it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting to see how people are taking these new things and really making them work. I like um, it too. I think that's great, man. I mean, let the yeah. person go out and drive people around, rent their cars, deliver groceries. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Cause you have to change no, no, as a society. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing at all. I think it's great, man. And, and that's what it brings me back to the idea that I, I meant to ask you, I think you already said you, you think it's the future, but what do you think about Bitcoin and, and um, like, have you ever read the, okay, there's a conspiracy to talk to who is, what's his name Hiroshi uh, Hiroshi Nakamoto I think it is uh, the the creator the guy that's billed as the creator of um, the the coin but what do you think about this? have you studied any of that um, the blockchain and uh, you know how this system is set up I have not. I mean, I know a little bit, but I don't know very much about Bitcoin in, in, that, in that sense. I do know that it's not regulated through the federal government. I do know yeah. that, you know, people use it for exchange of services and, and stuff like that. And some people take it and some people don't take it. But I mean, I, we have to. There's some things I think that that will work in the future going forward. You know, Bitcoin is different than the Federal Reserve. So maybe that's the way we're going to be going. But you, Oh, it's a night and day, dude. It's way different. Yeah. yeah. But it's also volatile. Uh, I mean, it can be what 50,000 one day and 30,000 the next day. I mean, it, it goes up and down at a pretty. Absolutely. And then, you know, what's uh, eye opening is somebody like Warren Buffett said, no, he's like, I don't want to have nothing to do with it. He's he, but he's got an old school mentality. There's these younger guys that are telling him, you know, you should look at it. And, the reason is, is because it's not like money that you can keep printing. They're only going to, I believe it's, they're only going to print or make up to 21 million coins or 21,000. I don't know the specifics, but it's going to be, I think it's 21 million coins. That, that, that's it. Yeah. And then once those are minted, once those are created from the mining, um, they're done. And so that is going to have, that's what's going to create the stability of it that you can't create more. And um, it, it, the gentleman that I was thinking of is Satoshi Nakamoto. And the conspiracy behind that is nobody knows who this person is that created this, mm-hmm. uh, the blockchain. or But I think it was a team of people that created it. And, um, and, and, and I've watched a couple of, of um, you know, documentaries on it. It's, it's super fascinating. And, it, it, it is the wave of the future, and so I think a lot of people talk bad about it because the government, you know, who probably wouldn't want it to work, said that, you know, it's a great way for kidnappers and, 
terrorists and other nefarious organizations to you know do their their payments and and whatnot but okay that may be but for the larger scale they're doing that with cash anyway so but for the regular people it works great because that money won't be devalued it won't be subject to um deflation so to speak if you only have so much it's like now i think what's the stat that in the last year or two, there's been more money printed than in the history of the United States. Or so, I think that's what I read somewhere. And I go, whoa, that's crazy. Yeah, and inflation is crazy, man. I mean, guitars, same guitars I bought two years ago. Now they're hundreds of dollars more. Hundreds of dollars more. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me, dude, tell me, what's that guitar that you were telling me that you that you got? You have a really nice guitar. And it's, it's a really well-known name, but I'm not a guitarist. I'm a drummer. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've got a drummer's yeah. back mind. Well, my uh, favorite I know drums. Yeah, the, yeah. The drums. <laughs> yeah, I, I have like a little, I have a drum set in my studio too. It's a little Lisius. I one. saw that. Yeah, a little Lisius. I saw one. it. I saw it with your light show. It was really cool. But what what is the um, guitar that you got on special? You got, it was a really nice, really cool, but it's a classic. It's a great name. It's, I, I don't know the name though. There's, there's a specific name of it. I have a Gibson Hummingbird, which is my favorite guitar. It's my beautiful yeah. acoustic one. That that is like the love of my life. My my uh, Gibson hummingbird. That's awesome. That was always a guitar of my dreams. <laughs> I got that one. Mm. That's awesome. I definitely appreciate. No, I, that. I I think that the most important thing to do is when you are in this world dealing with all these strange events and um, to have a place to play your instrument. It looks like you have a cool place, a little studio there, and. And to have a nice instrument, uh, that's the antidote to the weirdness we live in. I truly believe that. <laughs> yeah. And I like making music today. I, I mean, I'm never, I'm almost 50. I, I'm never going to be a rock star, you know, but I've been yeah. doing music my whole life. Doing music today is, is better than it's ever been. Like I said, I have my own recording studio in my house, but I work with musicians around the world. I use Fiverr, just so you know. So when you hear stuff on my records... A lot of that stuff, I got a guitar player I use constantly, and he's in Czechoslovakia. I have a bass player I use That's constantly. Awesome. He's in Brazil. You know, uh, so I have a ton of different, you know, I work with a keyboard player that was in the UK, and I just work with these guys from Fiverr. You know, and the good news is I'm, I hire them so the, to, to play the music for me. I'll send them what I want, and, and they play it, and they give it back to me. It's the greatest way to do music of all time. I have access to all these great musicians. Dude, I love that. And, and I know Fiverr. Mm-hmm. Fiverr.com is where you get the, uh, it's, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, here. Now I know that what I was trying to say, the gig economy. That's basically they started like they were big players in the gig economy, which uh, for people that don't know, um, Fiverr is a place where, because there's people that don't know. Yeah. Um, just like people that don't know about the Federal Reserve Fact. Um, Fiverr is a place, Fiverr.com is a place where you find people who will do services for you starting at five dollars but of course going up to like you know whatever it started that was the whole thing was like the 99 cent store of the digital online but <laughs> five bucks and so um that's where i had some animation done for my business for my like logo that i use on social media and the, the intro outro and um really happy with their services there and i've seen people that do voiceovers there right yep. and um yep. i've also seen musicians who will uh, I read an article that somebody took Mozart's fifth and they they 
we composed it. <laughs> they were brilliant, man. It was like it was amazing to, yeah. to watch somebody. Oh yeah, I'll pay you X amount. I think it was like two or three hundred dollars to like do this thing, and and uh, it came out like wow. Okay, there's real real talent on there. So it gets me excited when I hear about that because yeah. there's people like you said. Okay, I would be. You said you're going to be fifty or you're fifty, and you're never going to be a rock star. But it in the long run. It doesn't really matter as long as you are so happy. You end up happy with your um, your finished product and your music, and and you enjoy it, and then other people enjoy it, and they share it. Um, that's a cool thing. There's not a big machine that's you know oh let's distribute this, but it's still great. I mean, there's tracks I made where I use on some of my social media where it's it, we're big in Bulgaria. <laughs> we're, big, we're big in Belgium. But, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, but it's funny that you know, it's. It, I really truly believe, um, you know, being a rock star is a little bit overrated. I can't believe uh, I would have been happy playing the same, you know, songs over and over and over uh, up into my fifties and sixties and touring around. And I, there was a part of me that loved the romanticism of the idea. I romanticized the idea, but in the long run, um, life's turned out pretty darn good. Life's turned out really good. So um, still healthy, uh, have almost the forehead of black hair, which is kind of important to me. <laughs> That's always a positive thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can still get out of bed with too, not too many uh, creaks and, and groans and uh and, and bottom line, all my kids and grandkids are healthy, and uh, we don't call me grandpa; we call me papa. Because <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I go. I'm a little too young. We start a little too young having uh, grandkids, but but no, wouldn't change a thing. It's so awesome, and so it's it's one of those things that I I think if you're happy with what you're doing, I think that's the most important thing. I think uh, another thing that I think is a conspiracy is media giving you these ideas that you're supposed to have this, you're supposed to have that. This is the way it's supposed to be. Oh, look, I'm Chuck and I have this. And if you want to be happy, I think uh, the Rolling Stones said it the best. I hear a man on the radio telling me what I'm supposed to do, you know, that song and, and how I'm supposed to feel and what I'm supposed to wear. And it, it all really boils down to when you have some wisdom and when you think about it, you lean into what you like. And, and you live your best life and you live for what makes you happy. And it, dude, to me, it sounds like you're rocking. It sounds like you're in a great place. You are uh, playing music for people all over the world. I mean, you practically are, you know, you're a rock star without the distribution of the big label behind you. <laughs> you're making music, man. That's, isn't that really the name of the game? The, all the other stuff is fluff. Yeah. Um, it's cool fluff. But after a while, all you, all you need is a little pinprick to hit that balloon with, and it pops. And um, everybody has their moment in the sun. And then, uh, you know, I was just watching this crazy thing on Hulu, Pam and Tommy. Uh, it's a new thing about that, you know, the sex tape they had. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, whatever happened to Pam? So everybody has their moment in the sun, and then it's taken away. And then I think sometimes it's, it's almost better if you don't have that, that, thing you have a small amount of it like when i played all the clubs and the, and i got to do i got to live my dreams man okay. i got to live all my dreams have crazy adventures i don't know if you ever got a chance to tour and 
walk through an airport with a bunch of long-haired ragtag guys and I was twirling drumsticks and getting people to ask me for my autograph. It was great. It was great. It was crazy. But um, I guess I'm too much of a realist to be like, okay, this, I'm going back to work on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I never toured, uh, but I did play yeah. a lot of the shows. My, one of my favorite places to play, I played the whiskey too. And I loved, I played the Roxy, the whiskey, the Troubadour. I, I played all those back in the day. Actually, I played the whiskey yes. a couple years ago. Again, so, so much fun, dude. So mm-hmm. much fun. And, and you know what's funny is that, that wasn't the only the the only time uh, that was the only time we did stuff with uh, Stephen Piercy or his version of Rat. Is that we also did some clubs around this local area. There was uh, Angels Roadhouse. I played Angels Hydro Roadhouse. Picture. I played there, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I played there a few so times. You know it. Oh that's yeah, awesome. See, that's the, awesome. I knew if I mentioned some places, you might know. Yeah, yeah. The the uh, PA guy was awesome, man. He was such a cool dude. Yeah. So we got to play there, and I think I actually met Joaquin. I think if it was he was doing um, the drums for him then, mm-hmm. I think it was Joaquin and um, another show Joe set up for us. You know, our mutual friend Joe. Um, and so we had a little. We were you know an opener for for their band uh, and i'm not even sure if it was stephen piercey stephen piercey or stephen piercey's rat um but they did like all the hits they did some new stuff and they did a little bit of acoustic it was a really that's one thing i got to say about them they always put on a good show i mean it's pro status when they when they play it's like you know, it's it's a, a certain level that you're like okay in a small little club too you're like oh this is really cool yeah definitely stick around for that <laughs> i think the best place i seen rat at was at the key club when they um which club they- the Key Club, when they released their last album, in, in Fex, uh, Infestation, they uh, yeah. they had a record release party there at the Key Club in uh, Hollywood, and that was awesome. I was I was front because Rat's my favorite band, it always will be. Stephen Pierce is my favorite singer, always will be. I was up front, man, uh, up front. It was so awesome, dude, at the Key Club when they were there. But I've seen them a few that's, times. That's, the Key Club was definitely that's the best. magic. Yeah, that's magic, dude. When you get to, you're like, I remember that. I'll always remember that being right there, front stage. Yeah, it's so cool. It's it's. Um, but I'm telling you, it's a surreal life to have been a drummer. Yeah, sit in your room as a teenager. You're like you're dedicating most of your social life. I didn't have much of a social life, so I dedicated most of it to just sitting on the drums and playing and playing. And and uh, this was like in the quiet riot days. I'd, play along to them i'd play along to Def leopard i'd play along you know to everybody dude the iron maiden and uh and then one day to be backing even on his on his you know little jaunt through mexico and, and eric it, it was surreal dude just the two of them yeah. and uh with acoustic guitars and they're like hey well we want to pump it up so i'm like dude it, i'm telling you i i've i've lived a multiple amount of lives <laughs> But yeah, and so you, when you played the Angels Roadhouse, um, what kind of band? What kind of what were you doing? Me, I, I was, was a singer. Rock? Yeah, yeah, I was a oh, singer of the band. Dude, I, so you've gone from singing to guitar to bass to guitar, or what? What? Well, I'm a singer, uh, but I also play guitar. I'm a songwriter, so I play guitar. Um, I sing, but I also when I moved to Paducah you could throw a quarter and hit 50,000 guitar players and singers out here. So I just said, well, I play bass too. (laughs) So I just play, I play bass in my cover band out here. Um, But the music I work on for my album, I, you know, I sing on all that stuff, but 
that's just kind of, you know, when in doubt, just pick up something else and play it, you know. I'm glad that they Dude, didn't need so any drummers funny. out here because I can't play drums very good. <laughs> I'd have been well, in, so I'd have been in trouble if I had to play drums. I'm not I'm not as good as you on drums, John. I, I was I have a feeling though you have a drum set. I'm sure that you you're down you're able to lay down a beat. But I was just telling my son. My son was here for the weekend. We celebrated my youngest uh, uh, grandson's birthday. He turned four, and oh, cool. we went. My son invited me to a local show out at this uh, King's Brewing Brewing last night, and I was like, ah, you know, I was like, I don't know, and then. My daughter goes, your son's trying to hang with you. <laughs> He's mm-hmm. trying to bond with you. And I was like, oh, so you're right. I guess I should go. And then I, I, uh, I go, okay, let's go. And then so I go, you know what? You're right. I'll go. And it was really cool, man. It was like this, you know, you know the set out. It was the local band. It was a band called Unsound Sunday, which my, my son used to play with these guys, the bass player. The bass player is a beast. Um, met him in the guitar center from, uh, he was referred to him, the guitar center in San Bernardino. You know where that's at, right? Oh, yeah. I spent a lot of money there. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. Okay. So he um, was referred to him and we went there and did not disappoint. It was such a fun show. And I was like, dude, how fun is that? Okay. On a Saturday night, didn't expect to go and went to like miniature golf at Bullwinkle's earlier in the day. Had a great time. Had too much pizza and get tired. And then all of a sudden you're like, hey, you want to go see my friends? I'm like, who is it? And then once he told me who it was, I was like, oh yeah, that dude's like, he's like the Getty Lee of our local like area right here. So we're like, okay, dude, I'll go, I'll go, let's go. And and I was telling him how you said uh, that you, you know, you're a guitarist. Um, I, I think I was remiss that you also sang, but that you ended up now being a bass player also. And so it's an interesting trajectory. It's an interesting like path that you took, and that you were able to to jump onto that. Um, you know, because is is bass? What do you think is bass a little simpler than than the guitar, um, or it, it's got its own um, adversity to it when you have to, you know, if you want to be a good bass player. What do you think simpler, bass or the guitar? Man, it's hard to say because I didn't really do cover songs like. On, on guitar like I was always a songwriter so when I sang yeah. in a cover band it's different I sang in a cover band and I knew how to you know just sing was easy <laughs> that was the easiest part ever but I didn't know cover songs so I got into a band out here playing bass and I had to learn all I had to learn like 50 songs well 40 but now we're up to 50 so I literally the bass is what I learned how to play other people's songs on and uh. it is man it's easier but it also has sometimes you play the same thing over and over again and it, 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 and then sometimes you have the most complicated things ever I, here's my saying with my band they'll laugh every time i do it what three chords is this because there's there's so many three chord songs and you give me a like i can i can do don't stop believing on bass you know it's easy oh, it, it's that's cool. not you know it, it's complicated but it's not complicated even Tennessee whiskey on bass it's complicated but it's not complicated there's a rhythm there i get it but you give me a three chord song john you throw me off i just oh, what three funny. and i always i have to say you'd be like d a e perfect <laughs> cuz i i literally go down on three chord songs <laughs> but um oh. You know, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't tell you which is easier or harder. You know, they both, they, they're different for me. Like, I still don't play a lot of cover songs on guitar, but I know a, a ton on bass now, but not really guitar. That's awesome, man. That is, I think jumping from instrument to instrument, uh, there's something about that that I just, I, 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 like I 
that I romanticize the touring stuff. I also romanticize being able to go from one instrument to the other instrument. And I think you could probably, you're you know, not giving yourself enough credit. I know I saw the drum set in your little space there and it's not so little, but I saw in your space and um, I'm sure you're, you're proficient in it. It's just that, you know, we're our own worst critics sometimes. And, but I think that's amazing. And it's like a, a person like Dave Grohl who started out, most people don't know he started with a guitar and then he went to the drums and then now he went back to the guitar as, you know, the head of the Foo Fighters in which I'm like, who would have known that trajectory would have happened? That's one of the most amazing. I think he's one of the most prolific songwriters of our generation. I mean, it's like, I don't use that term often of our generation. (laughs) But I think, what do you think about that? I think he's the Prince of Rock. I think Dave Grohl is the Prince of Rock because he's, he's, he's literally Prince, but as rock. I think he's yeah. absolutely amazing, and I'm glad he's in the Rockwell Hall of Fame twice. He deserves it. And you know yeah. what? I, I, I like Nirvana, but if his drum playing wasn't on that album, would it have been as successful as it is? Listen to that album. The drum playing stands out. He is an amazing drummer. Absolutely. Do you know that he gives the disco guys credit for that? I, I know way too much about Dave Grohl and his process <laughs> and everything, but okay. he gives the, um, the Gap Band and um like you dropped a bomb on me and those guys he gives those guys a lot of credit because it's like do that to the bathroom do that to the bathroom and if you listen to these disco songs you'll be like oh crap i never even and he did an interview with one of these folks and he told them hey man i gotta give you i gotta thank you they were at a barbecue or something or backstage or somewhere and he's all oh yeah i was wondering when you were gonna mention that the guy that actually did the 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 original drum pack on it and it's it's so cool that I, one of my greatest memories that I ever have about the Foo Fighters, I'm a huge fan of theirs. Every time they come into town, I go to their shows. But one of the greatest memories was I was at Dave Grohl's 50th birthday party at the Forum with Lenny Kilmeister, Slash, oh, wow. uh, uh, Tenacious D, Jack Black and, and uh, his buddy, um, Zach Wild, uh, uh, David Lee Roth. Um, I had too much chocolate that night, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I had a whole bar by myself. I went a little crazy that night. It was like, but it was a celebration. It was incredible. So I don't, I remember most of it, um, but uh, the, the guest list on that, the people that were on stage playing with them, it was scam freaking tastic, dude. It was one of the best concerts, live events I've ever had. We were not in the best seats, but we, I would roam around and, you know, go around that middle section, kind of walk around that middle tier. You know, you're not at the top, top, but you're not at the bottom on the floor. And that was pretty amazing. And that's a memory. I have a lot of good memories from that, uh, that I can remember the memories I can remember from that night. (laughs) Man, I'm jealous. That's really, really cool. Dude. (laughs) Dude, It was, it was amazing. Uh, my friends and my, my good friends, uh, Stephanie and Drew, they, they asked us and it was during the time when remember the sonic highways that hbo um tv show came out and they would play in a different area they would record a song the whole tv show was this like documentary where the foo fighters um would go to the city chicago and they'd make a song and then they travel to the next city and then make another song then they created an album sonic highways and a tv show out of the whole thing and i thought man the dude's brilliant I mean, he has surpassed what, you know, anybody 
expected of him, I guess, is yeah. what anybody considered he would produce. And then he's gone on to produce uh, Down City, which I just watched again, I think, for the third time last week. Uh, the recording studio with that Eve digital board, uh, not uh, digital analog board. And uh, just so much has come out of that dude. And I just have so much respect for him. And it's, it's, it's incredible. I agree yeah. 100%, man, John. I definitely agree. Yeah. Now, um, we probably better, better close it down. Now, yeah. But where, if you're in California near Rancho Cucamonga, where can they find you if they need something painted or they need a drummer? You know, where, oh, tell, tell people dude, where they can find you, man. Dude, uh, this is where you can find me. You can find me on um, Instagram. And this is easy. It's at John Diaz Painting. It's J-O-H-N. V-I-A-Z and the word painting, like you're painting a fence. And so it's at John Diaz Painting. My name will pop up. Um, and like I said, we're a uh, five-star painting contractor, been in business since 1994. And uh, this year is going to be our 28th year in business, if you can believe that. I go, wow, man. That's it's, awesome. It's pretty incredible, yeah. And um, I owe it a lot to people who um, RVP clients and companies who refer us, clients who refer us. We've even did, uh, dude, I, I, this is, I shouldn't do this, but I'm name dropping. Uh, we've, we've done, um, uh, stuff for, uh, Chafee College. I've done their cafeteria courtyard renovation. I did two projects, their Wignall Museum project, their patio project. And, uh, also did, uh, stuff for Snoop Dogg. Oh, that's cool, man. <laughs> we did. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, yeah. It's crazy. Did we you did smoke that. out with him too? No, no, no. But his wife was so kind. I was there and she saw me. They, they, he left to go. Uh, he, he told me his, uh, his head of security told me that they were heading out to go do uh, ridiculousness, the show, the TV show. Oh, that's and cool. they were heading out. They were going to be leaving that, you know, this area needed to be, you know, just kept clean for a bit. And so came out, got to talk to him. Hey, how you doing? Everything's good, blah, blah, blah. And then they left. And I was doing something in his man cave. I was repairing a, like a water issue that from one of those uh, air conditioning units that, you know, like a window unit, but it was in this, like his man, his man cave that if you watch this TV show, you'd see like this man cave. And so long story short, his wife didn't know I was there. They, she was like the last to know. And she came out, saw me in my painter gear. And she goes, oh, what are we doing today? And I go, oh, fixing the, the leak, the, you know, the, the air conditioner leaked in the summer, repair the drywall in there. I go, oh, okay, cool. Well, listen, um, I would be heading out in a bit, but if you need anything, uh, there's drinks in the fridge. I think there might even be some food in there, some snacks. So just go ahead. And uh, it was on the south side, like patio on the side of their home. Um, and it was really cool because I got to see a glimpse. It really cool dude because he was very involved in his son's, uh, his kid's sport. So there was like football, like gear there. There was like pads. There was like balls. There was like cones to like run drills. So, and I'm sitting on a couch with a TV and then a fridge right next to it. Um, and just, I was there in between breaks, you know, just hanging out, drinking the little Gatorade that was provided by Mrs. Mrs. Dog. <laughs> so cool, <laughs> Mrs. man. Snoop. And, yeah. and so it, I'm telling you, I've had such an interesting life and it's, it's really cool. So it, basically you could find me there, uh, John Diaz painting at, at John Diaz painting and on Facebook, the same. And, um, I don't really do anything other than that. I don't do TikTok. I don't do any of those other things. I've already got my handful 
my hands full with work and and whatnot. And then I'm also on YouTube, so you can find me on YouTube. I started doing some shorts on there because people are telling me, hey, dude, uh, I try to make entertaining videos so that not to bore people. Okay. And yeah. he said, yeah, people told me, hey, you should probably try putting some of your videos on that because people would be entertained. I do time lapses, painting a garage door, man paints garage door in 30 seconds. And then, you know, you see me putting on a splash of color. But but that's it, man. That's it. That's I, awesome. I want to say thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed the conversations that were off the air. And I especially enjoyed this conversation. It was really cool. Me to you, brother. And anytime you want to come back on the show, just, you know, call me, text me. Hey, Chris, I got something on my mind. I want to talk about it. You uh, And I, I sincerely mean that, man. You just text me, call me. You, you're free to come back anytime you want, brother, okay? Awesome. I love it. All right, brother. I'll talk to you later. Have a great day. Right on, man. You have a good one, too. Bye-bye.